You're listening to Faith FM, and this is our program, Tassie Encounters, broadcasting live from Hobart, Tasmania. And today in the studio, I have with me Gary Webster. Good morning and good afternoon, Gary, if people are listening in the afternoon. How are you today, Gary? Uh, great, Jason. I'm glad to be here to be able to share what we're going to be talking about this morning. Excellent. Now, Gary, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, and then I'll ask you about the program that you're going to be presenting and the series that you're going to be presenting. Sure. Well, look, I've got uh, degrees in science, ancient history, religion, and archaeology, and I love sharing the discoveries that uh, people have made in those spaces, uh, connecting with life as it is today. Yeah, awesome. So, uh what what has that done for you in your life as you've been uh, working through this uh, field of archaeology? Well, in actual fact, uh, Jason, this is one of the reasons I'm sharing it because as I looked into the discoveries, uh, particularly of archaeology and ancient history, it helped me realise there is a source for knowing life at its best today and how to have eternal life. Okay. So the program title is Life Time Search. Now, I'm interested to what that really means and and why you called this uh, segment that name? Good question. (laughs) Well, people are searching for life, life today, how I can get the most out of life, but uh, also searching for life after death. And uh, as I've called time search, down through time that search has been going on. And I've discovered that through time people have been going into the same Uh, search that we go through today. We want to know, get the best out of life today, and we want to know what's next when I die. Okay, so um, I guess that's sort of where you're heading in this program. Is is there more you can just just give us a little bit of a a clue as to where you're going with this? All right, let let me me illustrate. The ancient Egyptians, for example, uh, they seem to be obsessed with the, the next life. I mean, they preserve bodies for the afterlife through mummification. We've probably seen mummified bodies in museums, many of us. They built magnificent tombs to house and protect the, the mummified bodies for the afterlife so that the soul or the spirit, which they sort of wondered what sh- where each of those fitted together, so they could return to the body. And then, of course, they buried incredible treasures in the tombs for use in the afterlife. And some of those treasures are better than what we've got in our houses today. So that was the Egyptian, uh, you know, search for the afterlife. Then there was the uh, what they discovered in Iraq, uh, the archaeologist Sir Leonard Woolley's excavations in modern Iraq. Um, he was uh, digging there in, in, in a place called Ur, down the southern part of Iraq, toward the Persian Gulf, and he uncovered the famous death pits of Ur and discovered that the ancient Sumerians, for example, of Mesopotamia, they prepared for the afterlife by burying the living with the dead to serve them in the afterlife. And, of course, many people have heard of the the famous terracotta warriors. You can see those in Xi'an in China today. The emperor, Qin Shi Huang, I've probably butchered that Chinese. I'm sorry to the listeners there, but around about 250 BC, he had 8,000 terracotta warriors 130 chariots and 520 horses and 150 cavalry horses buried in the pits for the afterlife. I think, he, Jason, he was planning to do a bit of fighting in the next life. In the next life, yeah. And today, of course, 
uh, people have their bodies frozen at death in the hope that scientists will somehow find, uh, you know, the elixir of life and bring them back to life again one day when they find that. I'm, I'm actually fascinated with that that uh, concept of the, um, what's it called, cryogenics? Yeah, cryogenics. And yeah. Uh, that, that people are prepared to pay so much money, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to have their their, their their brains or their their heads or whatever the it is sometimes lot. their whole body frozen in the hope that one day that they can be uh, brought back to life well that illustrates jason that people have this hunger to continue life <laughs> life at its best now but to continue it and and so that's uh, that's the way it is and and you think about it even right now while we're here there are many people who want to enjoy life right now so what do they do they have body tucks facial surgery to look young uh, again others rightly visit gyms and eat better food do a thousand other things to have better health that's an endeavor to have life at its best i mean those things are good of course and incidentally um we've got a fantastic offer for our our listeners jason on the amazing discoveries of archaeology uh, and at the end of the program week I'll, I'll, I'll say more about that but this looks okay. at many of these things so what i'll do is i'll give uh, a number to our listeners right now you can write it down and later in the program you'll you'll be able to text in that number uh, we'll give you a code word and that will enable you to receive the offer that gary's talking about so that number is zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one that's zero four double eight double eight zero Eight nine one and and by the way, if you've got any other questions, you can text those in any time as well. Um, just any time you you uh, hear something that um, you're not sure about, or you want to ask, or you want to interact with us, you're welcome to text that number. We will be monitoring that, and uh, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. So, uh, Gary, um, you've mentioned archaeology and you're an archaeologist yourself. Um, I believe you've even done, you know, quite a few digs out there in the past. And uh, just just tell us briefly uh, how archaeologists work and what you've done and what you continue to do in this space. Sure, yeah, well... My involvement's been fairly fairly extensive in this area. I've studied archaeology in the United States. I've dug in the Middle East, as you said, both in Jordan and in Israel. And I regularly take tours because uh, I enjoy taking people to some of these sites that we're going to be talking about. And it's amazing how people of all different backgrounds, they, they enjoy seeing these things. And I've also been the editor of uh, an archaeological magazine called uh, Archaeological Diggings. That today has continued on as a, a newsletter, which I'm the editor of as well. Now, mm. I, I'm going to interrupt there because I was talking to Lyle mm-hmm. Southwell yesterday. I, I did a short interview in early in the morning. And uh, he said that he's been trying to contact you or he's been asking you for some time to do an interview with him on The Breakfast Show. He has. And, uh, and he says every time uh, he, he sees you, you say, oh, I've got to do that. And, but he never gets to you. So he's, he's looking forward to doing an interview with you sometime as well. Well, he, prob- <laughs> he probably needs to wave the red flag. <laughs> I'm not so good at texting, Jason. But anyway, on the phone, we'll be right. I'll, I'll, I'll contact He's a good mate, actually, from Tassie. Yeah, yeah, he is. So, um, and I know he's uh, fascinated with your material and, and the information that you're going to be presenting in this program. So uh, let's go on for a little bit. Uh, one other thing I do, uh, Jason, is I conduct uh, seminars around... Uh, 
the Pacific, Australia, New Zealand and, across, and other places in the world on these sorts of matters. And, and, and thousands of people attend these, these seminars because there's this great interest in what we're talking about, the search for life, not yeah. just today but the future. And I guess uh, the, the past gives us an indication of where our societies and civilizations have come from and, and how they were also living and, and, and searching for meaning in their life as well exactly and we'll see we'll see uh, a lot of the the relevance of it to to life today you asked me a a little bit about archaeology as well what what do we do yeah um if you ever if any of our listeners have ever gone to the middle east or you've seen pictures you'll often find lots of little hills many of those hills are actually what we call tells t-e-l-s these are civilization mounds because you see the ancients naturally wanted to build on a little hill it's it's above the floodplain it's it's easier to fight an enemy who's coming at you you can you know when you're on the top of the hill and uh, so what would happen is say for example an earthquake hit hit the place um, lots of buildings would come down they built them of stone and then they wouldn't bring in the bulldozer for obvious reasons back then but they would bring in fill they would just bring in dirt and use the existing structures and level everything off with dirt build on top of that and then perhaps an army came through and burnt the city uh, then the people come back or some new people move in you know two or three hundred years later they use existing structures bring in fill build on top and away goes. so the civilization mound is growing over time so when we dig we're digging down the deeper we go obviously the older things are so and, and that's what archaeologists do we, we we dig a big square like a swimming pool if you would and, and we just dig down and mostly then every piece of dirt we take out we sieve and when we sieve it we find things for example uh, we might find some bones now imagine if i'm in israel and and i sieve the dirt and i find a bunch of pig bones well guess who probably didn't live here at that time pig bones Humans, I don't yeah. know. Jewish people, for <laughs> Jewish example. Jewish people, oh, yeah, don't of course, yeah, because they don't have pigs. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, they, they, so this, this tells the archaeologists a story, you mm. see. You, we find coins, and, but above all, we find pottery. Because, yeah. you see, pottery helps us to date. Where we, as we dig down, we want to know, are we at 700 BC, 300 BC, whatever? And the pottery helps us date because pottery styles change through time, much like dress styles change, car styles change. A pottery expert can just read the pottery. He just needs the, the bottom or the top, doesn't need a whole pot, just a piece of it at the rim or the bottom, and he can say, ah, oh, well, we're around, now around at 700 BC, and he'll be within 10 to 20 years. Wow, that's amazing. That's uh, obviously a very uh, uh, interesting skill that people develop as they have studied archaeology and and they go on these digs. And then um, you were talking about these tells, these mountains, and uh, we've actually got a song here that's called There is a Mountain. Well, I guess uh, the tell is like a a small mountain. Before we go there, Jason, before you play it, just to illustrate for people how these things grew, if you go to Jerusalem today, right, You are not walking on the streets of, say, the time of Jesus Christ. That's about six metres down underground. Okay. And they're dug down to those levels of the Roman times, right? So that's how much a civilization um, hill builds up over time through that process. Yeah. That's uh, that's interesting. And even in the city of Hobart, you know, we... Uh we have the mall and what have you, and underneath, metres down, is a, a rivulet. So exactly. we've, we've even built, in Hobart, we've built on top of that as yeah. well too, and the water continues to flow underneath. So um, 
Yeah, let, let's have a listen to our first uh, piece of music. It's called There Is a Mountain by Caroline Hobb.
You're listening to Faith FM and Tassie Encounters. We're broadcasting from Hobart. And today I've got with me Gary Webster, and he's talking about his series that's titled Life Time Search. Now, Gary, we were talking earlier about how people are, are searching for the best life that they can have, and they're, they're perhaps searching for life after death and uh, and for meaning and what have you in their life today. So from your study and research as an archaeologist and as a theologian and uh, all of the other things that you've done in your life, what, what have you found that uh, needs to be taken seriously? Well, first of all, if you're looking for life, and I'm, we're all looking for life at its best, and you want to have life after life or after death, as we often say, if, you, if you're looking for a source that says, well, this is where it's at, this is, wh- this is how to get it, that source would need two things, uh, Jason. First of all, it would need historical reliability. Now, what do we mean by that? We mean they get the facts correct about the past and the present. I mean, imagine you're, you're looking at a source, and this is talking about life after life or how to get the most out of life today, and it doesn't even get the, the facts right about today and the past. You, you, your confidence wouldn't be that strong in it. So it needs to be factual. Um, because you need to trust what it's saying about life and the afterlife. And uh, so that would be important. The second thing is that source needs to be relevant to life. It needs to be able to address life today and how how to really help us. So those are the two things you'd need of such a source. So... um have you? Uh, do you believe you've found such a source? Oh, absolutely, and I'll tell you why, and we'll go through it. Let me talk first of all about historical accuracy, because that but that's number one. Uh, and in a later program, I'll talk more, Jason, about the relevancy and the importance of of such a source to life today. But I'm thinking of going to the Dead Sea with you. Ever been to the Dead Sea, Jason? I haven't been there, but I've certainly seen many pictures of people floating on the top of the water. Yeah, excellent. Have you, can you swim? I can swim. Oh, well, you don't need to go there to learn how to <laughs> swim because when you go to the Dead Sea, you can't sink. It's a great place uh, to go, but you also got to be careful. If you've got a cut or you don't open your eyes or you really know. Uh, I was going to really say it, it would be uh, very salty and uh, I'd imagine there'd be a strange sensation on your skin when oh, you get out. Oily. As it, it all dries up and it yeah. must go funny. It's oily, and it, but people love it. You know, yeah. That's the highlight of going through part of Israel that I take people. They want to swim in the Dead Sea and it's and it's great fun. We even have a mud bath, Jason, in the yeah. Dead Sea. It's great. But anyway, the Dead Sea. Back in 1947, a couple of young Bedouin boys were mining the clan's goats, and one of the goats strayed up into an area where there was some caves, lots of caves in this part. This is the northwest corner of the Dead Sea. By the way, the Dead Sea is the lowest part on Earth, and you're going to see why why some of the things I'm going to talk about are found in this very spot. Okay. So anyway, these kids, they raced up to these caves. They threw the, they threw, first of all, they threw a, a stone at the goat to bring him back, missed, and the stone went into a, one of these caves, and they heard the sound of breaking pots. And they raced up there hoping, I guess, to find treasures or something, and all they found were some old pots and some very old scrolls in some of those pots. Well, the kids grabbed hold of these things, and they took them back to their Bedouin clan, and uh, the Bedouin clan then took them to Bethlehem where there was an antiquities dealer. And his name was Kando. Well, Mr. Kando bought them for a hundred US dollars. So when was this? 1947. 1947. So a hundred US dollars. So probably 
a few hundred dollars yeah, now. Yeah, a few hundred dollars yeah. today. But a few years later, those same scrolls were selling for 500,000 US dollars. Wow. I reckon, I reckon that's good money. <laughs> I reckon whoever bought them uh, did well out of that investment. Absolutely. Well, of course, today they're priceless. You, 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 know, you wouldn't be able to buy them. And, and there's good reasons for that. Number one, they're very old. How old are they? Well, we know from radiocarbon dating that's been done on these scrolls, from coins that were found with some of them in the caves, and of course coins help us to date things, and then of course the style of the script that they were written in, because script styles change through time, like pottery and so on we talked about earlier, and so scholars know exactly what time period these writings are from. They're from about 100 to 200 B.C., it's interesting. So very old. It's interesting that uh, comment that you said about uh, script uh, styles changing. You know, even in in our lifetimes, the writing styles have changed drastically. Exactly. You know, from my parents to me, and then even my children weren't even uh, taught to uh, write in cursive anymore. So it was just printing. And I guess in the future, maybe there'll be less and less writing with more uh, computer stuff. But exactly. Well, you you exactly what you're saying. You try to read 16th century King's English. It's very difficult for us yeah. but it's English yeah English uh, I may not even be able to understand the words I guess but uh. exactly well some of the letters don't say, aren't the same as we use yeah. today properly yeah. Yeah. so so that, that helped them to you know to date them because of the style of the script now what were they well these scrolls are believed by many to have been written by the Essenes a group of Jewish monks around about you know 100-200 BC we're not sure whether it really was the Essenes. There's some question on that today, but it doesn't matter. They're old scrolls and out there in the Judean desert and down there on the, the Dead Sea. Now, these uh, scrolls that they found, by the way, when the Bedouin found out that these things were priceless, they went fossicking up in those caves looking for more and found them and cut them up into little squares two, and sold them for two dinars a pop. But, uh, <laughs> that's uh, a very sad thing, isn't it, that uh, they've, they've actually cut up all these old documents? It, it was, but, but the archaeologists, they went and bought a lot of those pieces up that they could, and because it's written on deer hide and today's DNA technology, we can actually help reassemble many of those pieces, painstaking. So... These scrolls, what were they? Well, number one, they were the rules and practices of this group of monks, about a third of them. Around about another 30% were their beliefs, their, their um, practices that they had, and, and then uh, the biggest proportion of these, about 40% of them, were actually parts of the Bible called the Old Testament. Every book of the Old Testament except the book of Esther. They found Jason two almost complete scrolls of the prophet Isaiah's writings. They were wow. nine metres long. So two, two of the same, same, same book. Yeah, the same book. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> the other thing that these are of interest to the scholars is that they said, now look, by the way, first of all, before I talk about the next bit, have you ever played Chinese Whispers? I have, yes. Okay, well, you know the game. When we start whispering at the beginning, it's a lot different than we get to the end. It is. And, and scholars thought, well, listen, if you copy the originals and then you make a copy of the copy and then you copy the copy of the copy of the copy and on and on and on down through time, surely you're going you're to introduce... You're going to have errors. Exactly, yeah. a bunch yeah. of mistakes. Mm. Now, now they had a chance to, to try this out because they've got scrolls now that date back to about a 2,000 years ago and they can compare them with the oldest they had prior to this and that was about 900 AD roughly. 
And, of course, today's Bible that people have in their homes or you see in the motels, we can compare those ones with these old ones. Well, the, the result was that essentially they're the same. There's no real change in meaning. Mm. So this was an amazing discovery. So they realized that book that we have on our shelves, maybe gathering dust, is actually the same as it was way back then. So, of course, uh, we have different translations of that, and they would have been all translated from the original, I guess, in the Old Testament, they were written in Hebrew, is that right? Yes, exactly, and yeah. parts of them what we call written in Aramaic as well. Aramaic, yeah. Um, but uh, the other thing, by the way, Jason, they've actually found one older now. It goes, dates back to about 600 BC at least, it's a little silver scroll. I don't know if you've ever seen the Jewish people at the Western Wall in Jerusalem. You notice that they're at the wall and they're rocking backwards and forwards. Yes, I've seen that. And, and on their forehead, they've got something tied up and around their arms, their yes. wrists. Well, they found a little silver scroll that goes into one of those things that they put on their forehead around their wrist. And a little silver scroll, which is a part of the Bible from the writings of Moses. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. That was found by an archaeologist called Barke back in, in Jerusalem. And it, it's, it's that old. And it's the same as the Bible we have today. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, we're going to uh, listen to a song and it's called Ancient Words, which uh, I think that's quite applicable, being that we're talking about ancient scripts. Eh? Exactly. And it hasn't changed. Yeah, let's listen. Yeah. 
You're listening to Tazzy Encounters, and this is on Faith FM, and I'm here with Gary Webster. That beautiful song was Ancient Words by Michael W. Smith. And uh, Gary, we've been talking about the ancient scrolls that have been uh, found in the caves up uh, in the, right. in the 1940s or so, and... Um, We've, we've been talking about how they haven't really changed over the time, the, the copies of the scrolls, etc. Um, but just before we go on, I'm going to mention that phone number again. That's our, our number to get the special offer, which we'll offer a little bit later. There's a code word we're going to give you, and that number is 0488 880 And uh, soon we'll, we'll give that code word and you can text us in. And uh, we'll get the offer out to you. So, now, Gary, um, there's uh, many uh, people who sort of think that this thing we call the Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales, just, uh, you know, mythology, legends, uh, just stories that people have made up, Um you know, not necessarily any truth in it. Maybe, maybe there are things that we can apply to our lives. But what have you found? Yeah, good question, Jason. Look, what we talked about uh, before that that terrific song that you, we just had, we mentioned that at least the Bible hasn't changed in in meaning over the thousands of years. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's historically accurate. So really, that's the question you're asking now, really. Is, yeah, I guess. Is, yeah. This thing is it really, actually true? Is it actually true? Yeah. Can we say, look, whoever wrote this thing got the facts straight? Well, yeah. look, absolutely. And I, I've got so much evidence that I could keep you here all day, but I prob- probably wouldn't be allowed to do that. Um, but let me, let me start with taking uh, our listeners to one of the greatest museums uh, that you can visit today. And, of course, that's the Louvre Museum. Now, of course... Everyone thinks of the Louvre Museum in terms of, Jason, the Mona Lisa. Lisa. I've, I've right. been there and uh, we had a quick visit to the to the uh, Louvre Museum and uh, it took a while to get to the Mona Lisa and we had our picture taken with it. And, uh, yeah, but uh, it's unfortunately, actually, when we got there, you, you're talking, um, I think you're going to talk about what's at the Louvre. Yes. But when we went there, a lot of the uh, antiquity stuff was actually gone. They'd oh, taken really? it out. I don't know why, but uh, we, we missed some of it. Well, so. it's back there again, I can tell you, because I saw it last time about a couple of years ago before COVID-19. But look, it's, it's an amazing museum. But when you go into uh, a part of the museum called, it's really the, the what we call the Levant section, which means Israel, Syria, Jordan, and so on. But you'll see some things. So I want to be, take our listeners to a, an ancient civilization called Moab. Now, Moab was a civilization on the east bank or east side of the Jordan and east side of the Dead Sea called, called Moab in those times. It's in Jordan today. But 
the biblical record. So what I want to do, Jason, is read what the biblical records say about this place and then check what the archaeologists have discovered, which is in the Louvre Museum, okay? Okay. So when we go to the Bible, in the 9th century BC, it spoke of a guy called King Misha of Moab and his rebellion against Israel, who were really the overlords of Moab at this time. Now, let me read the text from the Bible. This is found in the second book of Kings, chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. It says, Now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep master, and he had to pay to the king of Israel, that's he was called Omri, the wool of a 100,000 lambs and of a 100,000 rams. These were probably Kiwi, uh, you know, Ancestors or something okay. <laughs> with all those sheep, you know. Anyway, I've, I've heard that actually Australia has just as many sheep, but uh, we always tease the Kiwis. <laughs> we, we do. Their country's a lot smaller, so you know, yeah. with with all those sheep, it's a bit probably more per per square acre. Uh, I'm not sure <laughs> on the statistics, but anyway, it came to pass when Ahab, son of Omri, was dead, that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel, whose name was Jehoram son of Ahab. Now, when you go into the Louvre Museum, Jason, you will see this stone. It's called the Moabite Stone or the Misha Stele. And it dates back, archaeologists show us, back to the 9th century BC. Now, when the archaeologist, well, it was actually found by a missionary in, in Jordan. When he found it, uh, the scholars took real interest in it because of some writing that was on it. And so these people in, in, in Jordan, the, the local people, because of all the interest that was paid in it, they thought there must be something magic inside that thing. And so they cracked it open or tried to by putting it into a fire and pouring cold water on it. It's cracked it all right. But fortunately, um, this guy was able to, the missionary guy was able to get a, a paper mache squeeze of it and they were able to reassemble. He got it before they smashed it, you see. Um, and so they were able to reassemble it. And it's in the, the Louvre Museum. This is what it says from the 9th century BC, same time as the Bible's talking about. I am Misha, king of Moab. Omri, king of Israel, had oppressed Moab many days, but I have triumphed over his house. Now, you can imagine, when the scholars read that, they thought that's exactly what the Bible says. Yeah. And so. now that was that was back in the 1800s, but it suddenly caught the attention that, Maybe the Bible's not a bunch of fairy tales and myths and legends, but that's that's minor compared to the Hittites. Let me tell you about the Hittites. Probably want to know where the Hittites live. Well, you know, um, I've I've heard of the Hittites in a in a computer game that my son used to play called Age of Empires. So wow. even though I, I believe you're going to tell us about um, how they believe they didn't really exist. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, so, you know, go back to the 1800s. In fact, if you go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, back in the 1860s, there were only eight lines on the Hittites right. because they knew nothing about them in the scholarly world except from the Bible. And those eight lines really reflect what the Bible says. The Bible mentioned them many times, about 50 times. One example is, for example, the Hittites. Well, let me read it to you. Second Kings 7, 6. Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Abraham bought a field from the Hittites to bury his wife Sarah, the Bible tells us. Solomon brought horses uh, from the Hittites. And so these people certainly existed according to the Bible, but scholars had found nothing about them, so they said they don't exist. That's a Bible myth, a Bible blunder. Well, they got started. They started digging in Turkey, and they uncovered a huge city called Hattusa. Who did it belong to? The Hittites. 
It's a massive city, Jason. If you ever, you, you better come with me on one of my tours, man. I'd, I'd love to. And, and, and when we go to this city, you, you don't walk around it; you bus around it. It is that big, and it, it is a Hittite city. In fact, when and th- this is an entire archaeology uh, dig, a, do- a, a yeah. dig, yeah, I mean, yeah. been digging it up over, for many over years. many years. Yeah. Now, in fact, they found Hittite temples and so on. And, and interestingly. When the we talked about ancient Egypt earlier, when the archaeologists went down to a place called Abu Simbel, this is the southern part of Egypt, they found, of course, the temple of Ramesses the Great, Ramesses II. Inside his temple, you can see it today, there's a picture of Ramesses II fighting the Hittites. So even the Egyptians mentioned these people, and when they could read those hieroglyphic writing, hello. Not only the Bible says it, but the Egyptians talked about them. So, so over time, more and more information came up. So Gary's uh, phone's going off there. We'll have to apologise for that to our listeners, but uh, he'll he'll get that under control. Um, as uh, what I was saying there is that as as more and more information gets uncovered through these digs, we're actually finding more evidence that supports the uh, the biblical scriptures. Exactly. By the way, Jason. I put do not disturb, How and it still disturb? came through. Yeah, still came. I'd better switch it to aeroplane well, mode. Yeah, might around. have to. Might have to. Anyway, we'll we'll get there. We're we're still learning, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> well, technology really challenges me, man. I tell yeah. you. Well, one one more thing on these these Hittite people first before we move on. If you go to the to Turkey and 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 go to the Istanbul Museum, you will actually see a Hittite Egyptian peace treaty between Hattusili III, he's a, a Hittite king, and Ramesses II. So the Bible clearly shows that these people existed. And now we know that they actually rivaled the ancient Egyptians and they rivaled the mighty Assyrian Empire, which we'll talk about in our next program. Okay, okay. Well, Gary, I think it's uh, time uh, we might um, take another break there. I know you've got much, much more to share with us, but we'll take a short break. Uh, we'll listen to another piece of music, and this one is called The Captain by Carly Fletcher. Too perfect for me 
by Carly Fletcher talking about being guided home and I guess uh, in a way uh, you know the scriptures uh, have been a guide to nations past and generations past and uh, we were talking about um, with Gary Webster here we were talking earlier about how there have been examples where people have said well the ancient scriptures have mentioned things that really aren't true or don't exist and then later we we're talking about the Hittites later we've found other evidence such that um, we've actually proven that they in fact are true so Gary are there other examples where you know can you share any more examples where uh, I guess the secular uh, thought was that the Bible has mentioned something that isn't true, that doesn't exist, there's no historical evidence for it, and then later something has actually revealed itself in uh, archaeology. Yes, yes, we have, Jason, other examples of that. Remember we talked about the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls have found at least 100 to 200 BC, we mentioned. These are not the originals. The originals date back, some of them, to 1000 BC, some to 600 BC. One of the ones that dates back to 600 BC was the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel was a favourite of these people who copied the Dead Sea Scrolls because we have many fragments and many pieces of the book of Daniel. Daniel mentions a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar in his fourth chapter, and in his fourth chapter he says that 
Nebuchadnezzar was the builder of the what we call the New Babylon, the modern city, the, the then modern city of Babylon, because it had been destroyed by the Assyrians. And scholars said, no, 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 that, that's a mistake. That's a bunch of rubbish, because we know they said it was a queen by the name of Semiramis around about seven eight hundred BC. Well, then they discovered, once they got excavating in Iraq, they discovered the famous Ishtar Gates. You can see these today in the Berlin Museum called the Pergamon Museum in Berlin. The Germans excavated Babylon, ancient Babylon, and they took the Ishtar Gates down brick by brick and reassembled it there in the Pergamon Museum. It's a marvellous site. But on the edge, on the side of the Ishtar Gates, this is what they found. I, Nebuchadnezzar, laid the foundation of the gates. Uh Aha. Interesting, eh? So we find that evidence. And not only that, but Nebuchadnezzar had his name plastered on the bricks of Babylon, and so heaps of bricks have been discovered with Nebuchadnezzar's name on them. In fact, a friend of mine up in uh, New South Wales has one of those very bricks with his name on it. It's fascinating what they've discovered. Amazing. But that's not all, Jason. There's, There's another one called the King Belshazzar, in the book of Daniel again, uh, Daniel tells us that Belshazzar was the last king of Babylon. And scholars said, another Bible blunder, another mistake, because we know it was a guy called Nabonidus. But when they started excavating in, in Iraq, uh, this is what they found. They found a cylinder, a little clay cylinder. And on it was written, Belshazzar, son of Nabonidus. So they knew now that this guy did exist, and he was the son of Nabonidus, but was he the king? Was he the, ever the king, yeah. yeah. Then they found another clay tablet. It's in, these are in the British Museum today. It's called the Chronicle of Nabonidus, and it says, I, Nabonidus, entrusted the kingship to Belshazzar in the third year of his reign. Ah, there the, it is. They know now what happened. Nabonidus was a bit of a religious recluse. He left and went to a place called Tema, and he said, boy, you're the king uh, of, of Babylon while I'm away. And so he was the co-regent. So we know the Bible was correct. And by the way, you also read in that chapter when you ever heard about the handwriting on the wall there in, in ancient Babylon? I have because uh, I've read the book of Daniel and it's in there somewhere, isn't it? Yeah. It says in the fifth chapter that they're having this big party, wine, women and song. The whole thing was a real in session, and suddenly this hand without a body starts writing a message on the plaster of the palace wall. Anyway, everybody's called in to try to interpret it. Nobody can. Finally, Daniel comes in and he reads the writing, and the king says, you will be the third ruler of Babylon. Now, that's significant because, according to the Bible, there must have been two others. It was Nabonidus, Belshazzar, and then next would have been Daniel, according to the king. So scholars thought, ah, wow, this book is absolutely dependable. Yeah, amen. So uh, as time goes on, we're finding more and more evidence to uh, to support that uh, the Bible is actually accurate absolutely ra- rather than the opposite, exactly. know, trying to, trying to uh, find that it's a book of fables. Oh, that, that sort of thing goes on on and on again, Jason. Mm. Um, for example, just a couple of years ago, right, they found a very interesting tablet. You can see it in the British Museum. This one's called, let me, let me read what the Bible says from ancient Babylon. It says, this is when the King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, okay? 
This is what it says. All the officials of the king of Babylon came and took seats in the middle gate of the city of Jerusalem, that is. Nergal Shereza of Samgar, Nebo Sarsekam, a chief officer, Nergal Shereza, a high official, and all other officials of the king of Babylon. Notice it mentions a few of those Babylonian names. Yeah. One of them, Nebo Sarsekam. Just a couple of years ago, they discovered a very famous tablet, and it's on display, and it says, Nebo Sarsekam, the Rabsaris, or chief official of the king. The very guy mentioned in the Bible, who's a minor guy, according to the whole of the scripture, he's been found, it's tablet. This guy, that's, that's, that's Just in the last few years. Just in the last couple of years. That's amazing. They're still finding uh, evidence. Oh, They're that's still all finding information. On, ongoing. Yeah, that's incredible. So, Gary, um, we're, we're going to uh, be winding up soon, but uh, what, what do you want to finish off with today? Well, Jason, I think it's very important. What we've talked about uh, in, in this program, this first program of ours, is you can understand now why a probably the world's leading archaeologist back a few years ago, W.F. Albright, Professor W.F. Albright, one of the greatest archaeologists of our time, author of over 800 works on uh, archaeology and related topics, and the director of the American School of Oriental Research. That's the creme de la creme Society of Archaeologists. He was once the director of that. He'd been digging in the Middle East for many years. This is what he said. Notice what he said. In the centre of history stands the Bible. Thanks to modern research, meaning archaeology, we can now recognise its substantial historicity, its historical accuracy. To sum it up, he said, we can now treat the Bible from beginning to end as an authentic document of religious history. Now, that's the 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 uh, conclusion that someone who's been digging in the Middle East for many years says, look, that book is, is absolutely accurate. And and he's an expert. He's, an expert, he's the expert, or one of the, the leading experts. Yeah, and Jason... We shared something here today with those discoveries, but as they say colloquially, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till the next program on terrorists of the ancient world. It's unbelievable what they've been finding. Wow, okay. So, Gary, I think it's time to uh, to share that offer that we've been talking about. Uh, if our listeners would like to text in that number that we gave you before, I'll give it to you again, but the code word for today is DIG and the number one, D-I-G number one. Can you just remind us what that offer is going to be? Yeah, look, it's a fantastic offer, Jason, for those who want to avail themselves of it. It's a set of free, full-colour reading guides called Digging Up the Past. Absolutely amazing set of of, uh, reading guides. And as you said, people can contact us by texting that number. You know, this, these reading guides take us back in time, a travel through time to ancient civilizations of the Egyptians, the Hittites, the Assyrians, Babylonians, Israelites, Greeks, Romans, and so on. And we understand how these people lived and just how accurate this book is. In fact, you know, the, the, the Bible, Jason, is, um, though it's been burnt and banned and, and ridiculed and discredited down through the centuries, you know, According to the Guinness's Book of Record, it's the best-selling book of all time with an estimated 5 billion copies. That's, a, that's incredible when you think about it. That's, that's a lot of copies. I reckon uh, any author would be pleased to sell that many, eh? I think so. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, that code word is DIG and the number one. And the number to text into is 0488 880 891. 
Now, Gary, I know you've already mentioned, but just remind us again your next week's topic. Yeah, look, the terrorists of the ancient world, it's unbelievable what, and we'll be going to the British Museum as well and to Israel in our, in our chat together next week, uh, Jason. The terrorists of the ancient world were the ancient Assyrians, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be seeing exactly what they were like, but more importantly next week, we'll also be looking at not only how accurate the biblical records are, but the relevance to life today. That's an incredible thing that we find, and archaeology helps us to see, wow, they got that right. Uh, on top of that, Jason, I want to talk about the most significant discoveries of archaeology to people today. Okay. Many people don't realize that these discoveries that they've made in the Middle East abs- actually touch life today. So we'll be talking about that as well next program. Okay. And tomorrow we have Raiko Selick, and he's going to be talking about uh, the um, the uh, life of Jesus, and in particular the last week of Jesus. Uh, he'll be joining us tomorrow at 9 a.m., and we hope that you can join us then. And just uh, remember that, that number, 0488-880-891, with today's code word DIG1 to get your offer, the free offer, Digging Up the Past. And, of course, if you have any other questions or queries of Gary or any of the other presenters on our show, you can text in that number anytime. So, for now, we hope you can join us tomorrow. And uh, we uh, hope that you've been blessed by some of this information that Gary's been presented uh, to us today. We'll uh, hopefully we'll uh, have you on your uh, listening to us tomorrow. So long. Shall we?